Hello, and welcome to Hope Church. We're a local church with chill style, real faith, and no perfect people allowed. Thanks for checking out our podcast. This is a message from our SoCal location in the Santa Cruz, California area. We hope this message is encouraging. If you live near either of our locations, we'd love to have you join us for one of our many Sunday services. Hello, and good morning, friends. Welcome. We're happy to have you here, whether you're watching online or joining us here in person um, for this service. Welcome to our Sunday gathering. We're stoked you're here. Yeah, so um, I'm Chris, and this is Amy. We're some of the pastors here, and um, we're stoked to be uh, bringing the word together, and we're going to do it together this morning as a team. Yay. (laughs) It's going to be awesome. (laughs) So uh, we're not sure how this will go. It could be awesome. We'll see. We'll see. so if you've been here the last couple of weeks, or if you're just joining us today, um, uh, we've been in a series, we're, we're part three of four of a series that we call, we've been calling Dwell, and the focus of the series has been um, health. And um, I wanted to read to you the, so, so when we were kind of looking forward to this series, a lot of times we'll write like a little descriptor of what that series is about, and we'll use it to kind of promote, and also as just a way of you know, us thinking about and considering what we're going to do in this series. And I wanted to read it to you um, real quick. This is the descriptor for this series that, uh, that we came up with. It says this, The poet King David wrote of a place of abiding health and being that was within the reach of those who would seek it. Rather than a location, this place is instead a way of understanding God, ourselves, and the space we were created to inhabit together. Uh, Join us this Sunday as we explore the ways in which spiritual, emotional, mental, and physical health have been made available to us in relationship with God. Now, here's the deal. I I wrote that. (laughs) I wrote that description about this, looking forward to this series. I wrote it. I don't know what it means. Like, I mean, I know what it means, but I don't know what it means. You know what I mean? Like, you know what I'm talking about? Like, talking about health is one of those things that's so subjective. Like, who's an expert on this? Not us, okay? I, so first of all, that's our disclaimer is we're not standing here as experts on, uh, in, in particular, we're talking about emotional and mental health today. We are not experts in that at all. Um, in fact, I mean, in a very real way, um, uh, the last few years for us have been one of the darkest seasons of our lives. We've, we've been married for 20 years, and um, we've, we've kind of had some a rough go of it the last, the last few years in particular. We'll tell you more about that in just a minute. Um, but I, I wanted to say that at the outset that we're not, we're not standing here speaking as experts. What we're doing is we're going to the scriptures. We're going we're gonna to look at the Bible t- together today. And what we're doing is we're, we're just helping shine a little light on an expert voice that we see in the scripture that talks about these things. And so that's what we're doing. You know, one of the things that we have done, so I just said that We've been in a darker series, a season in our life the last few years. One of the things that we've, uh, that has helped us to cope with and to process some of those things has been to walk. So we, about, I don't know, three years ago or so, we started walking, and we walk now every day, uh, often several times a day. We wake up in the morning early, and we go out and we walk, and we live really close to here, so you'll see us just like walking up and down Soquel Drive and around the village. And then when I get home from work, we do it again. And then sometimes before bed, we do it again. Uh, sometimes like four times. We'll just take, all of a sudden I'll go, let's take a walk. And, you know, and we walk. And during these walks, like if you see us walking, 
Like, you can look at our faces and you can see how the walk is going. <laughs> like, sometimes, like, if I'm flailing my arms, just keep driving. Don't stop and say hi to us. Just keep, <laughs> just keep driving. Sometimes we're praying. Yes. Sometimes we're, oh, yes. like, yes. angry Some walking. Sometimes yes. there's anxiety. Mm -hmm. Lots of walking. Maybe at least a couple times we started out the walk together and finished it on our own. Like, <laughs> yes, <that laughs> like, <did> like, <laughs> like, you know what I mean? So, um, yeah, so that's where we're at. So at the beginning of this year, we kind of gathered, there was a, a few leaders that gathered together from our, David mentioned, were one church in multiple locations. We gathered together and we were talking about this year, and one of the words that came to us as, as we were praying was this word health. And so this series is partly inspired by that, that some finding some way to respond to what the Holy Spirit is leading us as, in a church in, which is seeking better health for ourselves, for our families, for our marriages, for our church community as individuals. And, um, and as we began to contemplate that and pray about that, um, uh, Psalm 23 really came to light as a kind of a key scripture. So Amy's gonna start by just reading. We just heard the whole Psalm. It's actually a very short Psalm. You can, you can hear it in 45 seconds. We just heard it in that video. But Amy's gonna read uh, just verse five and six from Psalm 23 to kind of set the stage for where we're at today. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So our focus is going to be on the word dwell. Dwell in the Hebrew is yeshab, which means to sit, to remain, to be still. So what do you guys think of when you hear the, word, the words house of the Lord? Like what comes to mind? Anybody have any thoughts on that? Peacefulness? Calm? Gathering? Yeah, um, <clears throat> I don't know, oftentimes for me, I think of a, sometimes I think of a location like gathering together in this place. Um, <clears throat> when we hear the word house of the Lord, it's kind of easy to think of the concept of heaven as well, um, a place where we'll go to later on, or like I said, a location, um, church, or a place we go to sometimes on Sundays where we gather together. Instead, today we want to consider the house of the Lord may perhaps be a way of talking about the life-giving presence of God in our daily lives. Um, this way of dwelling in his presence is how we want to understand what it is meant, to, uh, how it is to be healthy, how we're meant to be healthy. So there's a, what we see in this psalm and through lots of places in the scripture, there's, God builds in kind of an intentionality in how he designed us. There's a way in which we were meant to live, not so that we would uh, be serving a, uh, a book of laws, but so that his instruction, his description of the design serves us. It actually uh, brings us into health and to wholeness and to uh, fullness of life. Um, uh, a few years ago, as we kind of entered into what was what would end up being a more challenging uh, kind of season in our marriage and our life, um, I actually started working a little bit less. So uh, if you remember at the beginning of 2020, uh, there was this little thing called COVID that came along. You guys probably forgot all about it now, but um, you know, this pandemic thing happened, and um, I began, to, I shortened the hours that we were, we stayed open at, uh, at my work, um, 
uh, we kept working because we, we just dis declared ourselves essential and we just <laughs> kept going. So that's how we did that. Because, um, you know, I needed to, I needed to uh, pay the mortgage, you know what I mean? So we just kept working, but, but we, we actually shortened the hours. So I found myself at home a little bit more. Um, I got home a little bit earlier during the day. I used to, we used to work until five and I wouldn't get home until almost six. We started closing at four, which meant I was home at like 4.30. And the kids were still like active. They were doing things. So I'd come home and the kids would like meet me at the door and they'd be like, hey, do you want to help me build this Lego set? You're here now. Now you can f help me finish this puzzle or whatever it was. And I just, it was a, a season of life for me where I felt like I was living in my own head a lot. Um, if you can relate to that. I just felt like I would come home and my thoughts were so loud. Sometimes I would see my kids, I would see their mouths moving. It was like, but I couldn't couldn't hear what they said. In fact, one day I was sitting on the couch and I heard two of my kids having a conversation with each other and it was like, like I realized that there was things going on and I just hadn't even been paying attention for the last hour. I was just in my own thoughts. And I heard one of them say to the other, oh, you, when you're asking for dad's attention, you have to say his name twice. You have to say, dad, dad, and then he'll pay attention. And I was just like, oh, it's <laughs> just, you know, like, oh, you know, this you know, stabbed to the heart, you know. Have you, ever, have you ever found yourself in a place like that, though, where you, you, you struggled to be present in the moment? Like, like you entered into, you know, like me coming home, I, op I open the door and yet I'm still somewhere else. You know what I mean? So if you're saying yes to that, if you're kind of nodding your head, then it's very possible, it's very likely that you've wrestled with health in your mental and emotional well-being. And just saying that sometimes is hard for, for us to hear and to, uh, to wrestle with because there's such a stigma attached to the terms, you know, mental health or emotional health. There's, there's um, you know, instinctually we just be, we think the, the speaker when you use these terms is, is going directly to things like, you know, psychotic episodes or schizophrenia or, you know, some of these things that exist more on the outside, the extremities of this issue. But, but right there in the middle, where probably most of us have dipped our toe once or twice um, or taken a bath, uh, is right there in the middle is anxiety, depression, uh, panic disorders, you know, um, post-traumatic stress, obsessive compulsive uh, issues, things like that. And that's, that's right, right there in the middle. And, you know, honestly, like even right now, this is a hard thing to talk about because when you talk about these things in our culture, in our historical moment, it's hard. I, maybe this is just me. I know this is just, isn't just me. It's hard to talk about these things and not in your mind think the word crazy, right? Crazy. You know, when you, when you, you know, which, by the way, is a word that I learned you should never use when you're talking to your wife through the shower curtain and she's crying in the shower. You should never say crazy. That's just not a word. Just don't bring that in the conversation, Aaron, is what I'm saying. Just in the future, don't do it, man. Yeah, keep it out of the vocabulary. There's a, there's a stigma, isn't there, attached to these kinds of things. In reality, so here's the thing. If you do just even a little bit of looking, um, you, you find that these things are actually incredibly common. The most common one is anxiety. There's like something like 50 different types of anxiety now they've identified, which just means there's a whole bunch of anxiety. Over 40 million Americans admit to being affected by this in a clinical sense, which means there's probably four times that many, right? Um, but here's the thing. It's easy to look at those kinds of numbers in that extremity and think, oh, this is like, this is a plague. This is, but it's not new. 
and it's not recent. Yeah, for me, I, I feel like this is super encouraging. The Bible actually talks about these issues, um, about anxiety. Um, unfortunately, lacking context, it can be easy to read some of these passages and think that the Bible is almost dismissive of people that are struggling, like what um, Paul wrote in his letter to Ephesus. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So Paul makes it sound super easy. Just don't be anxious. This is, it's really not that easy, though. Um, actually, what Paul is trying to do is to lead us in a very thoughtful exercise that replaces worry with prayer and meditation. It's definitely not a quick fix, though. Um, in the next passage, Peter assures us that God cares deeply for our inner thoughts and struggles. He says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. So just in case you thought we were picking on Paul there, let's, so, um, you know, in Philippians 4, 6, which is the, the verse that Amy just read, 4, 7, so the, the following verse then says this. He completes that thought, and he says this. He says, and the peace of God. So he gives you this, these tools, right? Instead of being anxious, fill your life full of prayer and thanksgiving and present your requests to God, he says. And the peace of God, he said, which transcends all understanding. Um, the translation I grew up reading that memorized when I was a kid was passes all understanding, right? Uh, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding. In other words, the kind of peace that comes flooding in and you can't quite identify the source logically. That's the kind of peace we're talking about. Have, has anyone ever experienced that kind of peace from God? A peace you had no earthly right to. You know what I'm talking about? The peace of God, that kind of peace which transcends all understanding, which didn't come from uh, reading a book or a process, that kind of peace will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's, that's Paul's complete thought there. That's what he's trying to do. Which, so, so he says, will guard your hearts and your minds. So this brings up kind of a, a good point. You know, when you think about these kinds of issues, when we talk about this kind of topic, it's easy for us to, um, well, let me put it like this. So when I, I grew up in the church, I grew up around Christian things, and I often had this picture in my mind. Imagine a, a, a pie shape divided into three parts. And this is kind of how I thought that we should view ourselves as human beings. We're three parts. You might think of it as kind of mind, body, and spirit, right? Has anyone else heard this, right? We're, we're a mind. That's where we kind of think about things. That's where our preferences are and our choices. And we're a body, right? Because you've got to put it somewhere. And, but, but then there's a spirit that resides in us that, that someday will not reside in this body because these bodies die and it goes on and, you know, goes to heaven or is resurrected. Some, some kind of thing like that, right? Does that sound familiar? That version, right? That's actually a very new way to look at ourselves. That's, that's not what you find when you read particularly the Old Testament and you, you read these uh, prophets and these poets and, and they're musing on these things. They identify, first of all, more than three uh, parts to us and they, they talk about them in a way where they're all interconnected. The, these things don't exist like in compartments. They're all connected. Everything is connected. If I've learned nothing else from being married, Aaron, it's that everything is connected. 
in ways you, that would shock you. Like, how is that connected to this? It is. It just is. Um, we're not. We're not. Um, we're not divided into compartments. We are. We are. Uh, these are categories of being that are intertwined, inextricably. They cannot be pulled apart. I'm a being who has a body. That's true. But I'm also a being who has a mind. I'm a being who has emotions and feelings. I'm a being who is spirit. All of these things are true at the same time. And here's what we get to. So when we when we read this, so we started out reading Psalms 23 or a couple of verses from it. And Psalms 23, what it does is it speaks fluently the language of spiritual comfort and health. Right? That's why so many people go to it. How many times have you been to a funeral or, uh, or a, a memorial, as we call them now, um, and they read Psalms 23? Like all of them, right? I mean, everyone. Um, that's, that's what we do. We, we comfort ourselves with Psalms 23. But if you flip back, so if you go to your Bible right now and you find Psalms 23 and you flip back a page, what do you find? Psalms 22. If Psalm 23 speaks fluently the language of spiritual comfort, Psalms 22 speaks fluently the language of mental distress and emotional suffering. Before Psalms 23, before the cool streams of water and before the, the quiet meadows, you have Psalms 22. You don't get the one without the other, right? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to, um, we're actually going to meditate on Psalms 22. That's what we're going to do today. The whole thing leading up to this moment right now was just, uh, <laughs> just a preamble. We're going to meditate on Psalms 22. And the way we're going to do it is, uh, and not even the whole thing, just, just part of it. Amy's going to read some verses from it, and then I'm going to kind of comment on it. We're going to go back and forth just a little bit. So if you want to turn there um, in your Bible or whatever Bible, uh, promoting device that you have. Um, also, I think we'll have it on the screen so that we can read along as well. But this is Psalms 22, starting in verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. This is the same David that wrote Psalms 23 wrote that. And there's nothing between those two. This is David fully inhabiting his prophetic voice, and he's mirroring the, the suffering of Jesus that he would experience on the cross. Did that line sound familiar? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The reason it sounds familiar to us as Christians is because we've heard it. We've heard Jesus quote this line. In Jesus' day, in his, uh, he was a rabbi, a teacher. In, in, in the rabbinical tr tradition of the first century, if you were to quote uh, a, a verse one from a passage, we, we call them chapters now, but then they call it a passage. If you were to quote verse one from a passage, is, it was as if you were invoking the whole passage. Okay? So to say the opening line is to say, is, it's like saying, this is a Psalms 22 moment. It's like singing the first line of a song that you're really familiar with, you know? You hum a line and you think of the whole song, right? It's not taken out of context. Significantly, I think, Jesus quotes this Psalm 22 in the hour of his greatest suffering. In both Mark and Matthew, you see this. And, and in Mark and Matthew, they leave the original language just raw 
so that we can hear it. Eli, Eli, lama shabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There's deep connotations there that mean things like, why have you turned your back on me? Why do I feel so alone? Paul helps us understand what was taking place on the cross that David is prophetically speaking to in 2 Corinthians when he said this about that moment. He said, God made him, that's Jesus, who had no sin, he had no earthly reason or right to be on that cross. He said, he made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So on the cross, Jesus does not quote, quote Psalm 23. He quotes Psalm 22 because that is what he was experiencing in the moment. He was taking on all of these things that are so relatable to us. He took them on himself for a reason. All right, let's keep going. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you, our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you, they cried out and were saved. In you, they trusted and were not put to shame. I think sometimes, um, certainly for me, I felt like in the past, I've, I've viewed things like, like depression or anxiety. I, 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 I thought that the opposite of those things was happiness. And... Um, yeah, and, and I think mostly well-intentioned people will come into your life and they think that all they need to do is just make you happy, right? Mm -hmm. When you're struggling with these kinds of things. And the intention is good, but it's, it's a misunderstanding of what's happening. Have you ever felt anxious or have you ever felt depressed and, your love, and, you, and then on top of all of that, you feel your loved ones are kind of standing there looking at you like, why can't they just be happy, right? Maybe you should just watch a funny TV show, you know? Let's go out to dinner. It'll cheer you up as if that's the opposite of what's happening. But you'll notice that David's tool here that he presents for battling those thoughts uh, is not happiness, but rational thought. Rational thought. Here, what David contrasts, he says, yet you... Yet you, God, are enthroned. David's tool for battling those thoughts, the mental and emotional agony, was rational thinking rooted in transcendent truths. Transcendent is important because that's truth that exists apart from us, outside of us. That's how he found freedom from that experience. All right, let's keep going. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. All right, again, so David puts on his uh, prophetic voice, and he's, he's quoting something that would happen a thousand years later, right? The religious leaders mocking Jesus, saying, he saved others, why can't he save himself? That happened in the Gospels. And David is mirroring this. This is what isolation feels like when you're struggling with these kinds of things. It's, it's an utter lack of an ability to rescue yourself, and it's others standing around wondering why you don't just rescue yourself. That's what isolation feels like. David is expressing it in this moment of anguish, 
and he's prophesying about how Jesus would experience that very thing on the cross. And he did that for you. There's been, you know, and, and I'll tell you being married to a partner who has been struggling with some of these things in the last few years, there's been times where I've done this, I think, to Amy, where I've just, again, like, like, cheer yourself up, you know? Just get better, you know? So that our life can go back to being normal and happy. Um, I remember one time she was telling me, she was trying to tell me about something that, that I'd said that had contributed to a particular moment and I responded by saying, I said, how did you misinterpret that? Those words came out of my mouth, David, is what I'm saying. Like my married mouth. I just, like I said it. Uh, how did you misinterpret that? There's, and, you know, there's, there's ways in which I think when we're experiencing these kind of sufferings, the, the people around us, they just want you to be better. They just want you to be okay. Because then they, they have to stop. They, they can stop thinking about it, you know? It's really hard to watch people suffer. It's really hard. But, but this kind of isolation that, that comes with anxiety and with depression is not something that Jesus didn't allow himself to experience. And he did that for you so that he could relate to you in that. All right. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth, I was cast on you. From my mother's womb, you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near and there is no one to help. So are you seeing the pattern here? So there's, David's creating the, the, a pattern in it. There's a rhythm in his poetry. It's a, actually, I actually think the pattern of it is really important. There's a real expression of anguish and isolation, and then he balances it by a transcendent opposing truths. I really encourage this, this rhythm um, in your own life, and I, I'm trying to practice it in mine, where I express something real to God, and then I balance it by speaking to, uh, transcendent truths. I'm not trying to change reality by just describing a better version of it. Like, uh, that's a popular thing right now, <laughs> but that's not what we're talking about. I'm talking about speaking transcendent truths that exist outside of us. Look at what he says. So he, he, there's a cry of anguish, and then he says, yet you, God, are enthroned as the Holy One. God holds all of this in his hands. He's the only one that can. We have this thing uh, that we call, uh, I, I call it uh, the Monday texts, where, so, you know, the week happens, Sunday happens, you know, usually, oftentimes, Sunday afternoon is a good day. We'll take a nap, relax. It's like the end of our week. We're feeling good. We have a good meal, good time with the kids. And then I go to work tomorrow morning, you know? And then about 9.30 or 10 o'clock, Amy starts to text me. <laughs> and the te Have you ever, like, looked down and you see those three blinking dots for, like, 10 minutes? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Like, you're like, oh, my God, here it comes, you know? I call it the Monday text, and, you know, and it's her musings on, like, you know, uh, all the things that didn't get talked about when we were having a good time yesterday, you know? And, uh, and he here's, uh, here's the thing that I, that I remind her I've started doing. I'll send her, and she reminds me now of these things, this too, which is, in the middle of all that, this is what I'll text back. Not like, I don't try to solve all the problems. I don't answer it all. I don't tell her anymore, hey, it's all going to be okay. I don't know that. <laughs> 
I don't know that at all. <laughs> Maybe it won't be. I don't know. Here's what I say. Invite the Lord into it. Invite the Lord into it. We, we remind each other of this now. And then there's this, another cry of um, desperation from David, and, he's, and here's his second transcendent, transcendent thought. He says, yet you brought me out of the womb. God made you with a purpose and a design, and he entrusted you precisely. Hear this. He entrusted you precisely to walk through the life that you have. He built you for this life. There's a saying that goes around, that's been around, that it sounds something like this, uh, God will never give you more than you can handle. That's total nonsense. <laughs> if that were true, what would we need him for, right? We get more than we can handle all the time, but he trusts you with it because his expectation is he's, you're going to invite him into it. You're going to invite him into the process. All right, let's jump back to Psalms, or Psalms 22. I'm going to read this next little part uh, myself. It says, Many bulls surround me, strong bulls of Bashan encircle me, roaring lions that tear their prey open, their mouths wide against me. Check this out. This is what David says. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. So this is David prophesying again about the cross when the, the Roman soldiers pierced the side of Jesus and there was nothing left but water, right? My heart has turned to wax. It's melted within my mouth. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircle me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All of my bones are on display, and people stare and gloat over me. And they divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. This is the poet King David and the king of kings from the line of David, that is Jesus, connecting down through the ages, a thousand years apart through their shared suffering. Sometimes I think it's easy to feel like God is far away. Well, this Jesus that we know was a thousand years apart from David. And look at the way he's connecting with his experience, right? That same connection is on offer for us. We can know that we're not alone because Jesus already walked this well-tread ground before us. Now we're going to hear um, a desperate prayer from David. But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions and save me from the horns of the wild oxen. I don't think we should ever be afraid to pray desperate prayers. Mm -hmm. God, rescue me in this moment. We've prayed several of those ourselves. I think it's really normal for us to, as human beings, to desire an easy and quick fix. Um, but it's often through the process that God does the most lasting work. Um, we often, like Chris and I talk about this, this process being called the messy middle. We call it the messy middle. Um, and I've been in the messy middle for a while now. Um, about three and a half years ago, we, we moved to a different house. And our lives changed dramatically during uh, about three and a half years ago. Um, then the pandemic 
and everything that came along with that, the shutdown. Um, we suffered through a very traumatic miscarriage. Um, I started something horrible called perimenopause. Seriously horrible. Um, just a lot of <laughs> challenging things happened at once at a very difficult time. So I started experiencing a lot of depression and anxiety and just a very dark season that came along with that. Um, this year, it's definitely felt like we're starting to turn a corner. Um, I feel like I'm starting to see more light and hope. Um, and we can see God's hand bringing about healing in our lives. He's been doing a lot in my heart and life in the middle of this very dark season. Um, but some days it still feels like we're very much in the middle. Um, so let's listen to David one last time. He says, I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him, revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. <clears throat> I think this is our promise that we can stand on, that God is not far away. That he is near. He does not turn his face away from you or from me. When we're struggling in these dark places, that he is right beside us. So if you don't hear anything else, what we're saying this morning, we really want you to take this away that mental and emotional health is not, has more to do with embracing the process than reaching the end. Um, there's this exercise that I started doing a couple years ago when I was going through um, just this dark season of anxiety and depression, and um, it's something I try to do daily, and I, it's very simple, but I just kind of stop and take some deep breaths, and I put both of my hands out, and I close my eyes, and I just... Um, kind of quiet myself, and I say, God, I surrender to the process that you have me in. Um, whatever that looks like, however long that takes, I surrender. And it's my way of, like, um, humbling myself and, rem and reminding myself, too, that God is, is present in this process, even though it feels really difficult. It's not comfortable. Um, there's no, like, fast-forwarding to the end of it, which is human nature, but that God is present with me right now in this moment, and he's present with you. And if you've experienced this, that he's walking with you. And sometimes that exercise, I do it every day. Um, sometimes I do it hourly, depending on um, if I'm really struggling or not. But it really helps bring some peace and some calm and just reminds me that God is with me. I think also, you know, we're, as we're kind of talking about this together and processing, like, what does it look like to talk about these things? Um, I felt like we wanted to encourage you that there's no version of this that must be done alone. <clears throat> mm -hmm. I think that's, you know, the, one of the things that you see throughout the Bible, there's this theme that there's, there's an enemy of our souls at work in this world and um, that that enemy would want us to believe that, that his greatest trick is causing us to believe things that are not true. And this thing that is not true is so easy to believe that no one can understand your pain or your torment or whatever particular thing you're going through and therefore you must walk it alone. That's not true. That's not true. In fact, what we've seen today in the, words of Jesus, in the words of David here, speaking about Jesus, is that Jesus has gone before us and that 
he's, whatever ground we're walking, he walked it first. And then he's calling us into this deep fellowship. He would say to his followers when he was walking the earth, he'd say, he, he talked about the fellowship of his suffering. They probably had no idea what he was talking about then, but we do now, don't we? He's calling us into the fellowship. There's, there's relationship in it because he walked it first. And then he invites us then to very um, dramatically and unapologetically share our lives with others to be completely open and transparent with people. That's a radical step. And what it does is it, it defeats that lie that no one understands me, therefore I have to walk it alone. Just talking about things um, takes that lie and it, and, it, and it puts it in the grave where it belongs. We hope this message encouraged you to take the next steps in your relationship with God. The cool thing is that you don't have to do it alone. There are a lot of ways to, you can get connected here at Hope. Not only do we want you to feel at home at Hope, we'd love to help you find a home. Please check out discoverhope.church and click connect or just email us at info at discoverhope.church. Lastly, we give everything we can away for free and rely 100% on volunteers and donations to support this ministry. If you'd like to give to the Mission of Hope Church, you can select the Give option on our website or text any amount to 831-800-2060. Thanks again for tuning in.